Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. What we have as a first in the state conference, an Ohio Pioneers meeting. Here tonight, we have enough sobriety up on the stage, and in case anybody wants any help, we have it up here. Believe me, we have a vast storehouse of experiences up here, a vast warehouse that we can all draw upon. Now, from our great co-founder, Dr. Bob, we received three words, which declare our society's goals love and service. And service has become our third legacy, reminding us that we owe our own sobriety to the services of the earlier members, reminding us also that thousands who still need AA will never know the recovery program if we fail in our service responsibilities to these earlier pioneers. The old-timers are the real and permanent leadership of Alcoholics Anonymous. We must never squander this inheritance that we have received from these pioneers, the early members. Well, back in 1939, a writer for the Cleveland Plain Dealer wrote two articles about Alcoholics Anonymous in this area. His name was Elric Davis. And at the time he wrote these articles, he wrote about the 50 members in the Cleveland area in the latter part of 1939. And I'd like to now introduce one of these early members. One of these 50 members, Warren Cleveland. Jack said when each one of them talked a few minutes, he said, we'll go on to something else. Heck, it'll take me 15 to 20 minutes to give you my name, rank, and serial number. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, Chuck is going back a long ways tonight for this meeting, what, he, what is called the Pioneers Meeting here, back to the year 1939. And, of course... I go back to those years with many fond memories. And of course, I suppose the older you get, the fonder they become. And, uh, or at least it seems that way anyway. I used to hear about this as when I was younger, and of course I never thought it would happen to me, but it, <laughs> but it really does. But, uh, I go back and look with fondness upon those early years in this program and the and the great achievements that have been the accomplishment of AA through the years, not only in the great city of Cleveland, but everywhere in this country of ours. And, of course, I like to feel, I'm somewhat prejudiced, of course, I like to feel, to some degree at least, that Cleveland had a great deal to do with the great growth and development of AA in this whole country of ours. 
I look back to the early July of 1939 when I was privileged to come in. I took what I hope is my last drink on July the 3rd, 1939. And at that time, I was introduced to AA and, the, and uh, as a group, AA in the city of Cleveland was 10 or 11 strong at that time with no period of sobriety to amount to anything, no experiences to draw on, nobody to point to and see, see that fellow there, well he's been sober five years, ten. The big book had not been published in the city of Cleveland at that time. I have a mimeograph copy that was given to me and that I somehow or other in some magic way happened to snag onto and keep and have bound. And uh, there was nothing that these early people in AA had in this town in the year 1939 except a great hope, a great faith, a great belief, and a great zeal, feeling that they had found something that they had needed all their lives and that they definitely had something that was going to work for them. And when I was introduced to this group, and I can remember walking into this home on the east side of Cleveland for three nights, they brought me there and indoctrinated me with the philosophy of this great program. And I can remember my first meeting with these people so well. Confused, bewildered, wanting above everything else in the world to get sober and to stay sober. Somehow feeling that if I could find the solution to my drinking problem, that everything would work itself out all right. In spite of the fact that I had problems busting out all over from everywhere. I'd been on somewhat of a protracted front before I came into AA, uh, the last two years of which were permanent, day by day. And uh, I didn't have much thinking capacity. I don't know how I recognized some of the things that were told to me in the beginning, but nevertheless, I instinctively knew in my first contact from the attitude of these people who were AA, and the period of sobriety was anywhere from one day to three weeks to six months, outside of Clarence Snyder, who sponsored me, who came into the program, sponsored by Doc Smith and the Oxford program in Akron, and Clarence happened to be sober for a year and a half. The greatest period of sobriety at that time in the city of Cleveland was six months which is held by John Dolan, who is not here tonight, I understand. And uh, I knew when I met these people, I recognized that faith. I recognized that zeal. I recognized the fact that they knew that they had found something that they had needed all their lives and that it was going to work for them. And I knew that this was the thing that I had hoped for, prayed for and begged God for, please, just one more chance, I'll make it this time. And I remember some of the things that they told me, not too many, but one thing that was told to me by one individual in that three nights that I was at this home has rung in my ears every single day that I've lived since that time it was told to me, and that was this that provided you follow the principles and practices of this great program of AA, 
Not only will you find the solution to your drinking problem, but to every single problem that you have. And you know, if you don't think that that sounded somewhat far-fetched and exaggerated to me, with the problems busting out all over, as I said, because when I came into this program, I had long since run fresh out of every single thing that was worthwhile in life. Spiritually, physically, mentally, morally, and financially, I was as bankrupt as anybody could ever possibly hope to be. And to tell me that just by the simple process of becoming a part of this program, one could find the solutions to his problems seems somewhat fantastic. But for the first time in my life, and while I might listen, because I had nothing to do but listen, and for the first time in my life, I decided to listen. And as I've said many, many times, the cards were all stacked in my favor when I came into AA because I had nowhere to go but up. It's while I might listen. And I decided to do just this. And I found out that what they told me through the years, and I'm more thoroughly convinced tonight than I have been at any time in my life, of the complete truth of what they told me in the beginning, that this is the complete answer to every single problem the alcoholic has. And I'm convinced of one more thing, more so than I have been at any time in my life, and that is of my complete need for and dependence upon this great program of AA. And to some of you newer people, to some of you people with a little less sobriety than I have, some of you people just coming in, wondering and hoping and praying that this thing will work, this might seem somewhat exaggerated. Here's a man that stands up and tells you he's been dry for 29 years in this program, and he still feels that he needs it today more so than he did at any time in his life previously. But to me, this makes sense in every single respect, like everything else in this great program. And why? As simple as ABC. Because I know that as long as I believe in this program thoroughly, as long as I feel a complete need for it every day that I live to the point of where I do the things that this program recommends without compromise, that I, like everyone else who comes into this program, has a very definite and absolute guarantee that regardless of what comes along in my life at any given time, I will never find it necessary to go back to where I was when I was privileged to become a part of AA. This is the guarantee that was given to me in the beginning in Cleveland in the year 1939. This is the same definite and absolute guarantee that's given to every single individual who has come into this program since that time up to this very day. The tools are given to us in equal quantity, each and every single one of us, regardless of where we come from, what our background of education, a position in life, society, or anything else might be. Upon how well we use these tools will depend our success or failure. If we recognize the magnitude of the job that we have to do, 
And the fact that staying sober is the biggest and the most important job the alcoholic has to do every single day that he or she lives. Then we'll make use of those tools. We'll put them into effect as best we know how. And when we do that, there is no element of failure in connection with this program whatsoever. It is foolproof in every single respect. It cannot fail. It never has failed. It never shall fail. For the individual who comes into it wanting above everything else in the world to get sober badly enough, and to stay sober today, tomorrow, when it becomes today, and every single day that he or she lives, wants that badly enough to do the things that this program recommends, then this guarantee is given to each and every single one of us, as I said, regardless of who we might be. The same principles and the same story that was told to me 29 years ago has been told and retold many times. It's as true today as it was then. This is the complete answer to every single problem that the alcoholic has. Thank you very much. years ago that Warren told me that if I practiced the principles of this fellowship, I could walk down any street in any town ten feet tall, and it only cost three cents on a dollar to go first class, and I've always remembered that. <laughs> I'm sorry about all the mic trouble, and there's looks like there's about two acres eyeballs here tonight, too. <laughs> And that's what we're here for, is eyeball to eyeball AA, isn't it? And we're just about ready, we're going to get it. And we have a word from the ladies, too. And I'd like to call next on a lady who just celebrated her 25th anniversary down at Zanesville. Polly. My name is Polly. And I'm an alcoholic. I'm a very grateful alcoholic, and I celebrated uh, my anniversary on Bastille Day with the French. <laughs> and my, it really means freedom. I, uh, when they told me tonight I was supposed to come up here and say something about the early days, and I said, well, I didn't come in in Ohio, and they don't want to hear about what happened to me in Kansas City, where I lived at the time that my life came apart. I was in um, a hospital, uh, a neurological hospital, they called it, and I was locked up. Uh, I was divorced after 20 years of marriage. I lost the custody of my three children. And everyone in the group, in the AA group, which I went to two meetings uh, with a lawyer who was not a divorce lawyer, but he said he knew more about this case than any other because he belonged to AA. And they thought that I had very little chance of staying sober without a home, so they banished me to Chicago. And uh, they got in touch with the secretary of the Chicago group who happened to have come from Springfield, Ohio. 
And she, while she wasn't an alcoholic, was my sponsor. So, and the Chicago group, incidentally, was uh, started by Earl Treat, who came from Akron, who is now no longer with us, and Grace Cultus, who was my sponsor, is no longer on earth either. And I feel I have a double obligation because all the people that were kind to me in those days uh, aren't here anymore. And that gives me more of an obligation than I had before. Uh, life was, was pretty cataclysmic in those days, and I thought this had never happened to anyone else. But I found that there were lots of other people. And at first, AA seemed too good to be true. I didn't think that people would be your friends when they knew the worst about you to begin with. But I found out they were. And uh, when I moved to Chicago, they sent me to Evanston because there were no bars in Evanston, and they thought there would be a little less temptation. When Northwestern University was put in Evanston, that was one of the stipulations that there would be no bars, and there still are no bars. But uh, the dividing line between Chicago and Evanston, uh, I didn't know about that when I first went, and maybe it's lucky I didn't. But I early learned to cooperate, and I'd never cooperated in my life before. I always thought I knew better than other people what to do. But I had to live by myself eight years before I worked out a philosophy where anybody else would live with me. And uh, so uh, 17 years ago, next September, uh, a man from Zanesville asked me to come, a non-alcoholic, mind you, asked me to come to Zanesville and live with him. And I told him at the time that I would have to go to AA meetings because that was part of my training. And he didn't know very much about AA meetings, but he came up to Michigan where I was working in a hotel, and I took him to a meeting in uh, the, the pantry of the rival hotel where the chef was from Phoenix, Arizona. And they, there was no speaker, and there were only three members, and they read a chapter of the book. And so when he said he guessed he could even take that, why, well, I came to Zanesville 17 years ago. So that I feel very much a part of Ohio, and I'm lucky enough that I've been around and have met some of you, and I hope I'll be around a while longer. But I have to remember that in, 19, I think it was 1954, when uh, I was asked to come and speak at the Cleveland dinner, and I spoke with Norman Brokenshire, and I hope some of you maybe remember some of that, because uh, I had to retrieve the program some way. <laughs> and I don't mean speaking bad of the people who have gone beyond, but the, some of their problems weren't quite resolved. <laughs> and and uh, I'm, I'm glad that it isn't this time. <laughs> I'm glad that at least that, that my anniversary's behind me, and I didn't think I was going to celebrate it this way, but... Thank you all for listening, and it's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Polly. Thank you very much. <clears throat> we have another pioneer with us tonight who has been a great force and a great worker in the institutional groups in Central Ohio, and I'd like to present now Henry. We've got the long and the tall and the short here. 
Good evening. <laughs> uh, it's a little difficult to follow Warren and Polly, but I'll try and do my best. You know, I'm not an Ohioan. I was born in the middle of the Ohio River, and the middle of the Ohio River, in my case, happened to belong to West Virginia. <laughs> but I want to say this. I was born in Ohio County, West Virginia. That's neither here nor there, but are there any West Virginians in the audience? Quite a few. I haven't been as sober as long as some of these people. I think the reason they have me up here is because I'm probably older than any of them. <laughs> you know, when I look back, I can't realize I am as old as I am. But... I'm fairly good at figures, so I guess I am. You know, a long time ago, a man from Cleveland, Harry D., is old Dank in the audience? Anybody know him? Is he? I'm just informed he's sick. Well, he wrote a letter to Columbus. He wrote letters to four different groups. I happen to be a group secretary, but he didn't write me. But one of these secretaries he did write to wasn't going to do anything about this letter, and he handed it to me. And this letter suggested that we do something about AA in the Ohio Penal Institutions. And with uh, some other people, I became interested in it. I became interested in the Ohio Penitentiary because as a boy, I carried papers in there. In those days, I went in and uh, delivered papers to the cells. They opened the gates for me just like they did for the warden's dog. And while I'm telling these gruesome things, I might as well tell you this. One time, I was drinking in New York, in, uh, Columbus, with a son of a man who was warden of the high penitentiary, and in those days they had executions right after midnight. This fellow suggested to me that we go over and see an execution. I was drunk, so was he. We went over and saw it. The most gruesome thing I ever saw in my life. I've been an opponent of capital punishment ever since. We, we, uh, <clears throat> consulted the then warden of the penitentiary. His name was Ralph W. Alvis. He's no longer with us. And we found the climate was right, and we started an AA movement in there. And it, which was the first in the Ohio penal system, has been going along ever since. Uh, they just celebrated their 19th anniversary in June. Well, that was a start of work in many of the Ohio penal institutions. Cleveland has been very active in the work. I've seen a good many people here from Cleveland, but I I haven't seen all the ones I know that are interested in. There's some of them here tonight. And uh, we, I think, have been able to carry the message. Now, probably percentage-wise... We haven't accomplished much. But that's not the way we figure in AA. We have been able to carry the message to a 
good many people who have learned something about the better life and have done something with the remainder of their life. You know, I personally have been on committees that's interviewed the administration of a great many of our institutions. The last one was Chillicothe, that's the old federal pen at Chillicothe, which has been taken over by the state of Ohio. And uh, it's remarkable how well AA is thought of, even by people who technically know nothing about it. I have never seen anyone in authority in the state of Ohio who has had the uh, courage, if that's what it is, to object to AA in their institution. In fact, many of the uh, heads of state penal institutions have said to me and to many others that AA is the best thing that ever happened. A great many people have helped in this work, of course. Many of us are still, who started, are still active in it. But I want to say something to people who try to help by perhaps sponsoring a parolee. And this man don't do very well, so they say. The hell with that. They're no good. They don't want this program just because one man failed. I issue a clarion call, if I can, for a little more persistence. We don't count uh, percentage-wise. We're interested in the individual, and the individual that you quit working on may be exactly the one who will do something of the best. Our institutional AA is going strong in Ohio. In 1953, we started BB of AA, which is an organized effort to keep members of AA in institutions in the program upon their release. That is doing very well. None of these things are doing as well as they might. We could all do better. And I uh, think we could all use a little new blood. Everybody that uh, thinks about these things gets ideas. They're full of suggestions. But let's have a little action. Let's have a little more people interested in it. There's a lot of penitentiaries in the state. I'm grateful to God tonight that I'm able to stand up here and make a noise. That I have good health that I have a good wife sitting down there who got me into the AA program a long time ago. I'm grateful that I've found God as I understand him through this program. I'm grateful that I've met so many fine people. I don't know. I get embarrassed. People here stop me. They call me by name. I don't know who they are except they're members of AA, but I know they're friends. AA is wonderful for those like myself 
buried in this drinking habit, I have found myself again, found a little niche where I can feel that I may be a little bit useful. I'm so, so grateful, and I ask that God bless each and every one of you. Thank you. like the kind of noise you make. And I don't know about these wives, you know, my wife got me an AA too. Seems like the third party is always looking for a way to get somebody into AA. <laughs> now we have another lady from the Cleveland area who's been very active in AA in Cleveland, especially on the west side. At this time, I'd like to present Marge. Clevelander. My name is Margie. And I was literally found by AA in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, immediately set out to get back to my native Cleveland because uh, at that point I certainly wasn't thinking the way I am tonight. And I sincerely felt in my heart that had I stayed where I belonged, in Cleveland, Ohio, that I would truly be a pioneer in AA, such as warmism and the like, because this is where I did my drinking, this is where the people knew that I was a drunkard, and I just had a feeling that someone would have rescued me before February the 14th, 1944. But as I say, those thoughts are not mine now. I am grateful for AA having found me any place, because I was in desperate need of AA. I was at that in Detroit taking the so-called geographical cure. There was a man, a Cleveland man, who had the courage to take this little drunken lady to Detroit, Michigan, to a new site, hoping that perhaps that would be the solution to my problem. But as we all well know, that is not the solution for the alcoholic. So from 1944, 1940 until 1944, I spent most of my time in uh, alcoholic uh, rehabil- rehabilitation centers. I am, you might say, and of course, which is quite obvious, the first generation of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I can speak from the grassroots of the type of person who was coming into AA at that point. I call this a bunch of overripe alcoholics. Really, really ready, willing, and able. And although I came to AA uh, with very little faith, very little hope, I had that one prime ingredient, the necessary ingredient, a firm desire for sobriety. I understood very little, and in Detroit there, there didn't seem to be very many people who could explain very many things to me. And I had very little hope, as I say. 
In fact, I believe my first three months in AA were mainly just to stick around to see what would happen to these people when we all together went out and got drunk. <laughs> I thought there's going to be a blow-up one of these days, and I'm going to stick around here to find out what it's all about. Because, you see, I had been given up as hopeless. And uh, as I look back on those days, I recognize now, of course, what the problem was. They were solving their problem. They were not solving my problem, putting me into the institution, having me incarcerated voluntarily, forcibly. Certainly, it relieved them of me for a few weeks or a few months or as long as they would keep me there. But uh, in 1944, on February 14th, which you probably recognize as Valentine's Day, I was a fine specimen of a valentine, a real funny valentine, and in those days the funny valentines were quite popular, and I was really at the top of the list. But as I see the whole thing now, it was upon the changing of attitude of the people who talked to me in AA as, uh, uh, against those who were talking to me in the institution was they laid the entire uh, problem on my shoulders. They asked me if I had a desire for sobriety. They said they had a solution for it, but they said, you will have to do the wanting, you will have to do the doing. And in those early days, I wasn't satisfied that I was getting enough uh, AA in Detroit, and I would make semi-weekly trips up to Cleveland, Ohio. And as I say, I don't classify myself as a pioneer because everything was set up beautifully for me. I would come up to the Borton group and I would hear fine speakers and I would hear them testify to the very, very same thing that I heard them testify to in Detroit, that there must be a deep desire, there must be a decision, and then there must be a sincere determination and that determination must continue. And you know, my dear fellow alcoholic, that the reason we are sitting here tonight is because of our desire for sobriety. There isn't a one of us that don't know where to get a drink. There isn't a one of us who don't know how to get a drink or know how to drink it. We do not want a drink, and we do not need a drink. Well, uh, as I, I think the kindest thing I can do is to be brief. I'm here, and of course that's the greatest testimonial that I can give to the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Because it wasn't easy for me. As I say, I was a hopeless, helpless alcoholic who had ran the complete gamut of alcoholism. Considered hopeless. And when Alcoholics Anonymous can do this for me, it certainly can do it for anyone. And particularly those who come to us now. Many come because of this great growth that we have enjoyed and the great publicity that we have have had, the uh, great uh, uh, availability of this Alcoholics Anonymous program. People are coming to us who have not had the experience with alcohol. You know, it never gets better. It always gets worse. So I would say, if anyone in my, within my hearing tonight, if you are here and have presented yourself as an alcoholic, in all probability, you are an alcoholic. If in doubt, you are. The alcoholic isn't, it will hardly expose themselves to anything like this if they are enjoying their drinking. 
So I would say just stick around, no matter how senseless it may seem. If you're even doing as I did, wondering what it's all about, it will all unfold to you if you have these three requisites, the desire, the decision, and the determination. But you know, when I think back even then, when I would hear this wonderful speaker mention these things, I was still one to make my own decision, to think maybe I can do it a little better. So I wouldn't take this. I made a free aid for myself. I thought, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but you see, I do it now, almost 25 years later. So I caught on a little bit, you know. I would say, I admit it, I accept it, and I will act upon it. Those were mine, what I wanted, and so that I would use that. And you know, when I sit, like an old woman now, and I sit in front of the television a lot, and as I sit there, you know, and hear these great philosophers come on to the television, you know, they all have a new theory to solve this problem and to solve that problem, and they talk, 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 and they write books, 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 and they sell books, 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 and they make money, money, money. I just wish they would come and listen to us say this one word, action is the magic word. Do something about the problems in the world and do less talking about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. That was wonderful, Marge. Didn't I say it was eyeball to eyeball AA here tonight? Wonderful. Seems like Cincinnati area got a little slow start in AA. Because the man we have here from the Cincinnati area tonight only has 20 years sobriety. <laughs> so he's a junior member of the Board of Elders up here tonight, and at this time I'd like to present Harold. Harold. Thank you, Chuck. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to be here. <clears throat> Can you hear now? Is that better? Okay, it was partly turned off. Maybe that'd be the best thing, you just turn it off and forget about it. <laughs> Why, well, uh, it is a privilege to be here. And as being one of the younger members on the panel in years of service in AA, I consider myself, though, as fortunate as anyone here or anyone in this room. I know in the Cincinnati area, Dayton, Cincinnati, in that area, that there are members down there who are and have been sober more years than I have. Fortunately, you have chosen me to be your servant on a number of occasions, and it has been hard for me to say no. I've enjoyed the work with the General Service Conference, and one of the things that we can enjoy from our sobriety. When I first came into AA, we had people around, we had the big book, we had some literature, not as much as you have now, but many, many things were laid out for us. They needed people to do work. It was true at that time that the needs of people were somewhat different than they are now. But I quite well remember when I first came in at the 
to your tender age of about 37, why, some of the older boys would say, well, I don't know what they're doing with some of these kids in here these days. They said, hell, I've spilt more liquor than they could have drank. And how could they be an alcoholic? Well, you know, this was rather hard to take. I had either been well protected by the good Lord, my mother, my wife, and various other people. I had never had the opportunity or been unfortunate, whichever the case might be, however you choose to look on it, of spending time in jails or institutions. God knows I had been sick enough, and I had done a lot of things that entitled me to be there. But for some reason, I had not. I had heard about the AA program a little before coming in, and it was one of our elder members who has passed away several years ago in Cincinnati, a man by the name of Roy Schroyer, which many of you over the state no doubt remember, that I heard talk one time. I couldn't hardly stay there. In fact, I had to leave at one point and go out to my car in a snowbank and get a drink and come on back in. But this third party or second party that we always talk about, my wife, she took in the whole meeting and enjoyed it very much, and I am grateful that she did, because later on, she did encourage me and ask me if I wanted to check, to check into the AA program. I needed help. I was sick. So with that, I have always felt that we owe very much to our mates and to those people who are close to us. And in our state conferences, it has always been wonderful that we have been able to keep it as an open affair and have something of enjoyment for all who can come. I have been, as I said, one of your servants. I'm privileged to be a past delegate from the Cincinnati area, southwest Ohio. I was one of those members who worked and was on a panel with the first conference that we had in Ohio. There are some memories that we like to cherish and take along with us. We did something at that first conference, which some people don't look on too favorably, because we do travel with a lot of anonymous, that's 50% of the name of the program. But we had taken at that first conference some pictures. And I am sure if I can continue to keep this picture and I live for a few more years, it will become more valuable to me as my sobriety does. Because as time goes on, we start to wonder, how long have I been in? When did I come in? Sure, I've been around 20 years. I feel like a junior compared to some of the rest of these people. But it has been a wonderful time. And the time has gone by and gone by real fast. We had pictures taken in Columbus, which I think was one of the best things that was ever done at a conference. You can look at this. Sure, you'll see a lot of people who've passed on, who have left us, who were many and many very active people. I know over in Columbus one time, I went to one of their old-timers meetings. It was a very inspiring meeting to get in there and listen and visit and be with some of those people who had gone on and had done a lot of work ahead of us. 
it sometimes makes one feel that we don't do enough. I have often wondered how I could do more for AA, how I could have the time and ability. But there comes a time, and one thing that Hazel said tonight, which I'm sure strikes many of us, after having been quite active, we start to give this some of these tasks to some of these newer people who need this work and should have it. And we're so glad to see them come along and get active. That occasionally, we kind of get back in the corner. And you know, personally, and I can only talk for myself, I need meetings every week just as bad as the person that is coming in for the first time this week. Because if I forget who I am and what I am, I will no doubt be right back out there again somewhere needing more help than I do now. I hope and pray that I'm able to stay with the program that has been given to us, and I hope that I can continue to find so many good friends and find something to do in and for AA. And thank you for allowing me to be with you this evening. Well, the brain calculator took up these uh, slips and calculated the sobriety and a number of pieces, a number of people who signed these slips. 480 in number have a total sobriety of 2,838 years, which gives you all an average sobriety of six years. You want to give yourselves a pat on the back? I want to thank you, Harold. It's been a pleasure knowing you and working with you. <coughs> And our next speaker is a man that's been a real pioneer in Cleveland area, building groups, sponsoring people, and working with AA in general. Has a great number of years of sobriety. I'd like to present Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, folks. It's a pleasure to be here. It takes me back about 27 years. I was only in the program about six months, and they asked me to lead a speaker. There's witnesses here tonight to this. They asked me to lead the meeting. I said, my God, lead a meeting? I don't even get up and ask the question at a union meeting. 150 people here in the hall and you want me talking? He says, it's part of the program. Well, that was my sponsor. Boy, he was a tough one. And thank God he was. Well, I got up and I gave my name, how long I'd been in the program, and that was it. <laughs> but you see, I've come a long way since then. Now, it's very difficult and hard for me, the big mouth I have, to condense what I think is a three-hour talk into ten minutes. So I think Chuck insulted me. But I think it's one of the first Hazel tonight 
the meeting that she led. Just think of having all them women out there sitting there quiet and not saying a word or interrupting her, and she could talk all night here and they'd listen. It must give Helen a big kick. <laughs> well, I come in 1941. I was hospitalized post Shaker Sanitarium, and there's a big difference today in M days because it was seven days then for $35. Believe me, there's been a change. Prices has gone up without the sales tax. I had very good sponsorship, not only one sponsor, I had a lot of them. Because in them days, if you didn't get to visit the hospitals and talk to these fellows, you was told about it. And they didn't mince no words telling you either. Get up there and talk to them. What are you doing in the program? How do you expect to stay sober? That's the way they talk to you in days. Ninety percent of them fellas stayed sober. Today, I don't know. I don't think we have that good an average. I'd say it's down around 30%. I don't know why. But we was fortunate in the young days in this way. We had virgin territory to work in. The only people I knew, I think, was alcoholics and drunk. And I was glad to help Elmer Davis, the piece that he had in the press. Raleigh Hemsley run a series of ball player. Jack Alexander wrote a big piece in the Saturday Evening Post. And we was fortunate then because we didn't have time to get drunk. It was nothing to go out at night, a couple of machine loads of fellas with four and five names to sponsor people. Then see that they got to meetings. I think why I stayed sober was watching fellas like Warren here. I couldn't imagine anybody being sober for two years. I could make it for four months, and that was the limit. I was a periodical drinker, because, you know, in the times, between times, I had to work to get money to drink. I was a poor man, but I think I was fortunate. I wouldn't be here today if I had money. I pity the man or woman, woman that drinks today, that has money. God help me, because... They do suffer. Those periodicals maybe suffer over a weekend or something like this. But these people that can drink every day for months and go to a doctor and go to a hospital and get out and get drunk again, God help them. They have a tough time. I had a very good sponsor. He didn't bother me for the first three days I was in the hospital. But on that fourth day, he bothered me. And the only thing that worried me was getting my job back on the railroad. I've been fired off all the railroads in the country, Boomer Switchman. And he gave me to understand if I wanted that job back, I was the guy that was going to get it back, not him. Oh, I didn't like that fellow from then on. He was no friend of mine. But he said, listen, your wife has been helping you. Your neighbors, your cousins, your brothers. Everybody's been helping you, but you haven't been helping yourself. Now you're going to stand on your own two feet from here on out. If you want this program, you got a problem. And you're the boy that's going to have to do something about it. Now this thing works. And it'll work, he says, as long as you work in it. If you put something into the program, you'll get something out of it. Well, I still didn't like him. I didn't like that attitude at all, but he was right 100%. Because when I asked him to get my job back for me, he said, no, you get it back yourself. Well, now, how are you going to 
face the superintendent after he's discharged you six times, and then you get him a lot of trouble with the superintendents over him and the board of directors for holding up hot metal on the railroad that should be in the furnace. Now, when you have to go back and face somebody like that and ask them for your job back, brother, you better you better be ready to run or do something. But he made me do it. I was in the program in about nine days, and he called me up one day, and he says, uh, what are you doing about your job? I said, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to do something. I can't talk to him. He's fired me six times. Go on down and talk to him and tell him the truth. Tell him where you've been. Don't lie to him or don't have no politicians or no union representative to go to the front for you. Do it yourself. Learn to stand on your own two feet. Boy, he was a tough puncher. Well, I said, what have I got to lose? Well, this gentleman that hired me, when he hired me, I he brought out something that I never forgot. The man that sent me down there said, now, if you get the floor and do the talking, you can get a job. But if he does the talking, you get a promise. Well, I'd done the talking as soon as I could, and I remember that. So I went down to see him this particular time. Oh, brother, that was an ordeal, believe me. I was too nervous, but I went down and seen him, and he pretended he was right, and he just turned his head, and he looked aside. He said, what do you want? Brother. I said, I want to go to work. Well, he said, you're not going to work. You was a fight, you in a fight, and you was in jail. Well, he talked, he about run out, and finally I got the floor, and I started to talk, and I remember how I hired out there. I said, Tom, this is the old Tom now. I want to thank you for what you've done for me in the past. I appreciate it, and my family appreciates it, and I'm trying to get away from that booze, and I got a hold of something called AA through Judge Drucker here in town. And I says, I know fellas been sober two or three years and they're doing a very, very good job. And I kept on talking and finally, I got him. He says, take two more weeks. Cook. I could stand on my head two weeks. I had the job. I accomplished something. I really accomplished something. I went home. I wasn't home for ten minutes and I called up my sponsor and told him what I done. I thought he'd give me a little pat on the back, you know, for doing such a good job. Okay, he says, well, I still didn't like him. <laughs> I didn't get that pat on the back. Well, it was only about ten minutes later, and the telephone rang, and it was the crew, uh, crew clerk on the railroad, and he said, be out on your job tonight at five o'clock. I said, Johnny, didn't Tom tell you I'm serving two weeks? He says, be out on your job tonight at five o'clock. Well, you know, I didn't serve five minutes for being such a dirty, rotten heel and getting that man into all that trouble. And now where that man got that faith, I don't know. But I was thankful to God he did because I was only about the second one around the plant Then there's 4,800 employees there at Jones and Lock and Steel. And I was very fortunate. Well, I took a lot of abuse because them drunken switchmen, they seen me with a clean pair of overalls and a couple of bucks in my pocket Oh, they called me everything under the sun. We have steel lockers. They wrote on there, Harry Nation, your informer, your steward. <laughs> Brother, I got the works, so I didn't like it. In the meantime, my sponsor was taking me out on calls, visiting the hospitals. I was out putting her every night, and sometimes he'd get me out of bed two, three o'clock in the morning to go and get some drunk someplace. 
kept me awful busy. Give me a job as soon as I got in the program, making the coffee. I didn't make it to students, so I said, you're making it next week. I still don't like it, see? So there was no coffee made next week. I think I, Mr. Saunders here verify what I'm saying. But anyhow, they kept me busy, and they kept me working. So for the first four months around there, I took that abuse off them fellas, and I went to some of the old-timers, Jack Derrick, I'd be good doing a few more of them, and told them about it. Don't pay no attention. You said, now they're getting curious. They're jealous. They're envious. They want to know what you got. Well, my superintendent come to me and asked me if I'd sponsor a gentleman been there 25 years and was ready to lose his job. He'd lost it two or three times before. He says, this is it. This time he is out. Well, I went to the guy and sponsored him the hard way. And I made him stay sober three weeks before I'd even take him to a meeting. Now, you might think I made it tough on him, but the way they worked it in them days, you either could bring him in the hard way or put him in the hospital. Well, he said he didn't want to go to the hospital. Well, I said, would it be all right if I had eight or ten men space their visits and come over here and talk to you and tell you about the program? He said, yes. And he'd done a wonderful job for three weeks, and I had his highest 12 men call on him. Well, that way we figured the 12 men that called on him was helping themselves, along with helping him. And then when the man was brought to a meeting, he wouldn't be a wallflower or a new man. He'd know some. He'd feel at home. He'd feel wanted. And we practiced that for a long time. And when that Jack Alexander had that piece in the Saturday Evening Post, brother, we got some work to do, believe me. But them old-timers that I worked with and took me out on calls, there's an awful lot of them gone today. But they were hard workers. When you wasn't at a meeting, they was on the telephone. What's the matter? Did you graduate? You got the program? Oh, brother, they really give you the works. They went to the house and picked you up and seen that you got to the next meeting and kind of made you feel better. They followed, followed that false pride of yours. <laughs> now, I think today what we have in AA. I'm not an educated man. I went as far as third grade in the hardcore regions of Pennsylvania, in Carbondale, Pennsylvania. Left home when I was 16. But I think today we got one of the greatest gifts that God ever put on the face of this earth, bar and none. We've got some, but do we appreciate it? Do we work at it? Or do we sit back and let the other fellow do it and wonder why we ain't happy? Why we don't get a break? Why we don't get material things? Just an example... Governor Cousins in Michigan invested $5,000 in Ford stock in 1903. In 1930, he sold out to the Ford Motor Company $30 million for $5,000 worth of stock. But I think today we've got something in here, not material, but something from God that cost a lot more than that, that you can't set a price on it. And I don't think we take enough interest. Now, there's lots of things, even this general service conference here, I've heard it knocked and knocked in Reno. But I know that it's doing a lot of good. And if these people that does knock it will get to this conference and find out and get acquainted and make more friends here, I believe they'll have a better understanding because he, he is big. It's growing. And it's going to keep growing to the extent that I think that the people today that are not alcoholics 
are going to adopt this way of living. Because this you don't learn in college. You don't learn in school. You learn in here. You learn how to live. How to give of yourself. How to get happy. When you're happy, you're healthy. Thank you. feeling that seems to be running with this group of speakers here tonight is the faith and the belief that they have in this wonderful fellowship. And the two things they talk about is the power of example and the faith in the higher power. And Tam, Tom, I want to thank you. Thank you. you know, today is, you can't hardly get a shot of peraldehyde for 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> Now, <clears throat> we come to the last speaker on the panel. There's a man <clears throat> that's done a lot of work in Central Ohio. A man with 28 years of sobriety, well-respected all over Ohio. I'd like to present John. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm still confused. <laughs> Somebody told me one time that I never needed one of these. I always talk too damn loud anyhow. <laughs> You've heard that cliche about uh, the best coming last or something like that? Well, let me give you a little... You right now, don't ever believe another cliche you would hear. <laughs> and for the benefit of these uh, older folks that are up here, I have something here that I'd like to read, something I just happened to pick up the other day, and I think it's pretty good. Make these older folks feel good. Do not complain about old age. It is a privilege denied to many. <laughs> No kidding about that. We all have a lot of friends that was denied. This program didn't seem to work for them or they didn't want it to work for them. I came into this program in January 1940. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know what the result was going to be. And if someone had told me during the five days that I spent in City Hospital in Akron, where I was taken by my sponsor, that I would be here tonight in front of this group talking about sobriety. I just said, you're nuts, bud. I couldn't stay sober two hours, let alone 28 years. But bless their hearts, you know what they told me? They said, just stay sober today. And if 24 hours is too long, just don't take that first drink in the first hour, and you won't get drunk in 24 hours. And it was wonderful. You know, I, I, I think, I think uh, this program has gotten a little bit soft, a little bit easy. I like to think of a gentleman who 
after a visit by five men, walked into my room, stuck a big old bony finger at me, and he says, So you've been drunk, have you? I said, Yes, sir. I didn't know who he was. In fact, I didn't know who anybody was because I don't mind telling you, I was scared. I was afraid of what I was getting into and I was afraid of what that sponsor of mine has taken me into because I never did trust him. (laughs) On this gentleman I learned later, his name was Smith. He could look the nearest straight through you of anybody I ever saw with his eyes. And he could really put you where you belonged. And he said before he left that morning, have you got any dough? And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I wonder what's coming. And I said, I got a little. Not much, but I had a few bucks laying there on the table they'd taken out of my clothes. He said, we've got a book that I want you to read while you're in this hospital. He said, the price is $3.50, and if you will give me the money now, I will see that you get one of these books today. You know, I think now how we call on some person and we say, I would like to loan you this book and have you look it over. (laughs) And I don't mind telling you, my friends, I wouldn't embarrass a lot of people in this crowd by saying to you, please hold up your hand, all of you who have never read the big book, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people here who have I was lucky. I was fortunate. You know, in those days they called us drunk pigeons. And I was the only pigeon in Akron that week. So I got AA from early morning till late at night. I never saw as ambitious a group as there was there. I'll grant you that I didn't get too much of the program. But believe you me, I heard of a lot of things that had happened to those guys that had never happened to me. And I thought, my God, you suppose I might come to that sometime? And so I say I was lucky because they did so much for me. My sponsor never made this program. He died a ward of the probate court on his way back to the Toledo State Hospital. He did two things. He was one of the fellows who helped introduce this program into the Toledo State Hospital. And he left me a wonderful legacy. We think of a legacy as something of material value, generally. 
He didn't leave me anything of a material value, but he certainly left me something much greater, a way of life that I had lost. I said to my wife one time, what date was it that I went to Akron? She said, well, it was either the 12th or the 26th of January. One day is our wedding anniversary, and the other day you got a silver. <laughs> well, <laughs> I expect the day that I got silver was better for her than the day she died. I went back to my town that I'd grown up in after a few months of sobriety, and a friend of mine there had been in Akron, and we had been drinking buddies at one time in our younger life, and I immediately latched on to him, and he was kind of happy to have me, I think, because there was no other person in town who understood this program, and little did we understand about it, only we hung to each other. His wife hadn't yet accepted him home, so he was glad to come to our house for an occasional meal. We had a mutual friend who we decided we would sober up, a druggist who used to do a pretty good job of mixing up drugstore gin back in the days of Prohibition, and we used to work on him by the hour, but we never got him sober before he died. And you know, I've often thought about that. And I know now why we never got him sober. We didn't know enough about this program ourselves to tell him very much about it. And so that's why I think that it's a wonderful thing that we have these conferences, that we have our meetings, that we spend some time listening and conversing with each other and getting an understanding, a better understanding all the time of this program, that we may explain it to the person who still needs it. I heard one little story the other day. You know, it's a funny thing. We used to, they they called this Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, because nobody wanted to be known that they had to go to meetings. I, I saw a, a TV program the other night, you know, and this... Uh, Cowboy, and his wife was giving him the double for getting drunk. And uh, she said, I'm going to have that Alcoholics Anonymous people come and talk to you. And he says, no, there's no use. says, if you join that, you have to go to meetings. But he says, us boys just go to the bar and drink some more. And that was pretty much true of us. The fellow had been on a drunk for about a week. And he came home one day and he was pretty well hung over. He walked in the house and his wife jumped onto him and started giving him the usual bit. And, and she said, and besides, what's that blonde hair doing on your shoulder? And he pulled it off and looked at it. And he said, honey, that's the color your hair was when I left. (laughs) 
All I can say is thank you to all you wonderful people in this program, and thank you to those people in Akron, Ohio, wherever they are, for what they gave me. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.